Now, normally when Judd is at work, he is trying to hear from God about what he should speak to you for the coming week. And it is rare in a preacher's life that they get an opportunity to be, opportunity to be at work for three weeks and be able to have the opportunity to hear from God for what he should be saying to you for the next couple of months, year, and get that kind of plan. So I would encourage you in the next three weeks to be praying for him, praying that he will hear the voice of God, that he will hear where he wants you guys to, where God wants to take you guys in the coming months and the coming year. All right? Next three weeks, be praying for Judd. I don't know, let's see, I know many of you in here, but some of you don't know that I went to Virginia Tech. And when I was at Virginia Tech, there was a bookstore that had t-shirts, and one of my favorite t-shirts was called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And The Good, obviously, was Virginia Tech. Now, back there, regionally, the bad, you may or may not know this, but the bad at the time was the University of Virginia. Because the ugly was our chief rival at the time, and that was the inbreds from West Virginia. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, We're going to be doing a sermon series on something similar. The Bible has a good, the bad, and the ugly. They are the righteous, the unrighteous, and the self-righteous. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But let's contextualize that a little bit here for this audience. I was thinking, let's see, who would be the good in Denver area? And I was thinking, oh, the Broncos. Obviously, they're the good, right? Broncos are good. The bad, well, you've got to go to Oakland for the bad, right? Yeah, they're bad. They're bad boys. And the ugly then would clearly be, well, the Kansas City Chiefs would have to be the ugly, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they have to be the ugly? All right, well, let's get it out of sports for a second, and let's go to, let's do something similar right here for you guys, snow. Like, you guys are probably snowboarders, skiers, that kind of thing, right? You're going to have to help me out, because I, when I lived here for four and a half years, I made it up on the mountain four times. So you have to help me out here. The good for a ski day would be a foot of fresh powder. Would that be good? 50 degree weather, maybe? Add it on top of that, that's probably pretty rare, but no, that's not good. All right, a little colder than that. All right, so good, good fresh foot of powder. The bad would be what when it comes to skiing? Ice. Ice would be bad. Then that would make the ugly what? Mud season? Slush? Okay. All right, so you've got it. This is the good, the bad, and the ugly. The Bible we're going to be looking at, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the righteous, the unrighteous, and the self-righteous. We'll be looking at one each week. Today is the righteous. Now, why talk about righteousness? Why talk about righteousness? Righteousness is a term that is used in Scripture over 600 times in in the Bible. That's basically close to about 10 times, average of 10 times mentions per book. Righteousness. Big, very key term. It is the basis for three particular books, Psalms, Proverbs, and Romans. This is the basis. This, this word, righteousness, is the basis for those three books. So it's a really important concept that we need to understand. And yet when I say big words like that, righteousness, some of us go, yeah, okay, I could probably in context figure it out. But what does it really mean? And why is it important for my life? 
You've probably all seen those little Bibles, right, that have the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. The, the two books that have righteousness in it are included with the New Testament. They, they all have righteousness. So this is a really key term. What does it mean? What does righteousness mean? Righteousness, I'll give you a definition. Righteousness is acting according to the divine law. Or you could say acting according to the moral law. If you want something easy to remember, you might go with kind of the the catchy phrase of, it means right standing before God. That's a good one because righteousness, right. How do I get right standing before God? Well, I act according to the divine or moral law. All right, well, let's take a look at that. Why is acting according to the, the divine law important? Well, let's turn to Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk is way back there with all the small prophets. You could very easily turn past it. But it is right after Nahum, if you come to Nahum, then Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4. And this verse that I'm about to read is repeated by Paul both in Romans chapter 1 And then Galatians chapter 3. So he sees this, uh, particularly the second half of this verse, as a very key verse from the Old Testament to understand righteousness. 2.4 says this, Look, the one whose desires are not upright will faint from exhaustion, but the person of integrity or the righteous will live because of his faithfulness. The righteous will live by faith. Let's flip to Hebrews 11.6. Remember that. The, you can keep a finger there. We'll go back to that. Hebrews 11.6. The righteous will live by faith is Habakkuk 2.4. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Now without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And finally, Ephesians 2.8. Finally, Ephesians 2.8, a familiar verse for many of us, says this, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we see very quickly that the starting point for attaining righteousness is faith. You must have faith to attain righteousness. Now, go through Romans sometime and you will see that this is a miracle that is hard to fathom. Because really we are, as a, as a creation, human beings, we are concerned with how do we have right standing before God. It means all the difference. Because many of us at some point will face, just like the people in Joplin did, face the reality of life after death. And when we ask that question, we're going to want to know, am I okay? Am I going to be okay when I get to that point? And so we'll be looking in life for opportunities to confirm to ourselves that we're going to be okay when we die. Scripture is very clear here in these passages that the starting point for attaining righteousness is faith. Have to have it. Without it, it is impossible to please God. All right, well, let's go back to Habakkuk 2.4, and let's reread that a little bit closer. 
Look, the one whose desires are not upright will faint from exhaustion, but the person of integrity will live because of his faithfulness. I'm going to ask a very easy question. How do you live? You live by breathing one moment to the next moment to the next moment. And if you ever stop breathing, you are dead. The righteous will live by faith. You see, I'm a little concerned for the church today. I'm a little concerned for myself today because we have been taught long and hard that salvation is a point in time. While there is truth to that, Scripture is going to point to the fact that faith is something that is ongoing. And so when we look at these things, oh, that's much better, I won't yell now. When we look at this, living we need to realize that living is a moment-by-moment thing. That in order to attain righteousness, yes, there's a starting point, and there's a point in time when you can look at and go, oh, this is when that heart of stone was turned into something moldable by God. But not only that, in order to continue on in your faith, to maintain your faith, you must also have faith. Maintain that righteousness by faith. So righteousness doesn't just get you eternal security, although that's important. It also can get you things here. So remember this phrase, life eternal, life abundant. Life eternal, life abundant. That's what righteousness brings. I think the church has been really good at teaching the life eternal part. But I'm a little concerned today that we have not heard that righteousness can also bring you life abundant. Now, in your small groups, this might be something good to talk about because you'll have to talk about the balance of that. I'm certainly not up here saying health and wealth doctrine by live right and you'll be blessed monetarily, that kind of thing. But what I am saying is that maintaining righteousness by faith will bring you life abundant. We're going to look at some examples a little bit later. Let's flip to James chapter 2, and we're going to look at 14, and maybe even a little bit beyond that. James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead, being by itself. You see, James is talking about the very thing that I'm talking about here. Yeah, faith is good for the eternal picture. That's true. But faith also lives itself out. In order to maintain that righteousness, you must do good works. That's what righteousness is all about. Acting according to the divine law. There is actions that are required in order to maintain your righteousness. Now, be very clear. 
the starting point for that is always faith. If you do not have faith in order to maintain that righteousness, you are out of luck. You are what we will call in week three a self-righteous person. Somebody who is clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. So actions are really important. And actions are something that justify the faith that you actually have. And this is what James is saying here. He's saying, if you don't have actions, if you're not backing up your faith, you you really don't have true faith. That's not a faith that really saves or does anything for you. You must have faith that coincides with actions. But again, those actions are always started, maintained by faith. It is never separate from it. Well, in James chapter 3, we look at this. This is beautiful. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, he should show his works done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such wisdom is not does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. And the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. See, as we read through Psalms, as we read through Proverbs and Romans, we should be encouraged in our faith to want to pursue righteousness. Not just a righteousness that seals our eternal security. Not just righteousness that brings us life eternal. But we should also be pursuing a righteousness that brings us life abundant. Here, temporally. And we see that we are in a battle here with that. Because the actions of true faith are based on wisdom from above. Actions that are based on true faith, it comes from wisdom from above. You see, there is some competing wisdom out there. There is wisdom that comes from this world, and it is earthly, natural, and demonic. It is something that is going to influence every one of us in here, because we live in the world. And that worldly wisdom appeals to our flesh, because we have a flesh that desires the same things that the world is selling. And we also have Satan who is lying to us about that. We have the father of lies who's going to appear to us as an angel of light. And he's going to say, everything the world says here about wisdom, about how you should respond to certain situations, that's good. And if we're not careful, our flesh is going to go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Everybody around me is doing that. I like that. That's good wisdom. I'm going to go follow that pattern. And unintentionally, we can succumb to wisdom that comes from earthly, natural, and demonic influences. 
The actions of true faith are not based on the wisdom from this world. You, you read what he was saying there in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. You see, these are the kind of actions and attitudes that come up when you are succumbing to earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom. This should be some warning signs for you. If you are experiencing those kind of feelings, those kind of responses, these should be red flags for you of going, wait a minute, I may not be going after a righteousness that comes from above, based on wisdom from above. Now, I might be giving in to my very flesh. I might be listening to the lies of Satan and following the patterns of this world. You see, the battle is very difficult. When I was growing up, the biggest, baddest dude around was Mike Tyson. And I remember waking up to the morning paper and the bottom of the sports section would say, Mike Tyson knocked out this guy in 86 seconds. A couple months later, oh, this guy was out in two minutes. And you're just going, who is this mean, angry man that's just destroying heavyweight boxers? True righteousness, the pursuit of true righteousness is going to pit you against three of the worst possible enemies you could think of. I could not even imagine getting into the ring with one Mike Tyson, let alone three Mike Tysons. But that's what we're challenged with in life. We are walking into an arena, into a ring where the enemy wants to destroy you as fast as possible. He wants to just kill you, destroy you, and leave you for dead. And maybe bite your ear off in the process. This is the battle. Maybe you don't relate to Mike Tyson, but maybe there's another enemy out there for you. Picture that, because that's the battle you are entering into every day when you fight and pursue true righteousness. Well, let's look at a couple examples of how this looks in life. What does the wisdom of this world say with a couple of these examples versus what is the wisdom which God would say? Think of a clock. Very easy because a clock goes counterclockwise, right? That means it's going in reverse time. Regular time is that way. Same thing. There is intuition that we have. We are intuitive creatures, right? God's way is counterintuitive. Counterintuitive to the way we would normally think. So let's examine a couple of these. When you are wronged, what would be the intuitive way to respond? When you are wronged, many parents even teach their little kids going into school, if you get hit, you hit back. That is the intuitive or the natural, earthly, and demonic response. The counterintuitive or the wisdom from above would say what? Turn the other cheek. Right? We, we have a whole history of... of we, we have two, two great examples. The Middle East, right? They have been responding for thousands of years in the intuitive way. You strike me, I will strike you back. And what does that 
what is the fruit of that? Just ongoing. A, a process that's never going to end. Just a continual spiral downward. We also have another example. Think of Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. Two guys who based their philosophy of life on the teachings of Christ. What did they say when it came to being wronged? They said, no, we're not going to respond violently. We're going to respond non-violently. We're going to do the very thing that is counterintuitive to our nature. Counterintuitive to the way the world would respond. And counterintuitive to the lies Satan would have for you. This is what they did. And look at the results that happened. There were black people even in under that that were like, no, we don't want to do that. That sounds crazy. We're just going to get walked over. We're going to get killed. No. I mean, we're 40-some years from, from the civil rights era. And I'm not saying that things are perfect, but this is no Middle East. This is not a situation where we are spiraling downward. Because these two guys said, we're going to take the counterintuitive approach. Now, the tragic thing about that is, the thing that makes me want to shake my head, is that these two guys are probably guys that didn't even have an orthodox understanding of who God is. And yet we sit here in church where we have all our I's dotted, T's crossed about the orthodoxy of who God is. And yet we are often succumbing to the intuitive way when it comes to being wronged as opposed to the counterintuitive way. Shame on us. We are called to a greater standard. And if these two guys can apply on a macro level and we can see the life abundant that has resulted from their application of the counterintuitive approach, then how much more should we be able to see it on a micro level? As an individuals and persons, as we're going through our lives, if you're a business owner and you're getting sued, are you going to turn around and sue because that's what happens when you're wronged? When your neighbor encroaches on your property or does something, pushes or shoves, right? If you're in school and you get pushed, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the counterintuitive approach? The one that Christ would ask you to consider because in that counterintuitive approach, life abundant is promised. Or are you going to choose the earthly, natural, and demonic approach? The wisdom that comes from this earth. The wisdom that Satan is lying to you about and that your flesh craves. Now we're called to something more. We are called to act Christianly. What about your future? Are you going to take the intuitive approach about your future and go, oh, the economic times are terrible, I better hold on to everything that I have, I better cut back on my ties, I better keep for myself, I better worry about the future, or are you going to take the counterintuitive approach, the approach that should be used by the people of God to shine back to him, his glory, and as you interact with the world, you're able to have a peace about your future because you know that there is a God of the universe that holds your life in his hands. And that you're not going to 
worry about that. The counterintuitive approach is what God would have for your life. Not the intuitive approach. There's no difference between us and the world if we simply act as the world does. You will be consistent with the wisdom. They will consider you wise if you do that. But Paul calls us to something so much more than that. He calls us to be fools for Christ. And this is what it looks like. It's not just something, a righteousness that is concerned about something we have no control over, our eternal security. It is a righteousness that pursues things that affect us here and now. Life eternal, life abundant. What about your money? You're going to hold on to that money? You're going to save and save and just hold on to it and keep it and hoard it and protect it with as much as you can? Or are you going to do the counterintuitive thing that the Proverbs talks about, that those who give away money become wealthy? Do you see how counterintuitive that is to our, our thinking? You, right now you're up here, you're looking at me and going, he's preaching health and wealth doctrine. No, I am not. I'm preaching from the word of God, the Proverbs. He wants you to do that which is counterintuitive. Because by it, you can have life abundant. What well, goes on to your material possessions? What about sexuality? Are you going to do the thing that is intuitive that the world says? I mean, you cannot watch a TV show or a movie that does not promote sexual promiscuity outside of marriage. You can't watch it. It's not, I, don't, I don't know if they exist. Are you going to take that intuitive approach and go, oh, yeah, I love the lies that Satan is telling me. I, it's, it fits right along with the desires that I have in my heart. Uh, and it's what everybody is doing. I'll do that. Or are you going to take the counterintuitive approach where God says, discipline yourself. Do this with inside the bounds of marriage. Then you will have life abundant. I don't know the testimony of too many couples who have waited, who would not testify to life abundant. But I know a lot of testimonies of people who did the intuitive approach and took the wisdom of this world, the earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom, and their lives are a disaster zone. Finally, what about your tongue? Are you going to take the intuitive approach that says, I will say whatever is on my mind? I will have no discipline with my tongue. I will lash out. I will say anything and anything, everything that comes to my mind. Or will you take the counterintuitive approach that the Proverbs talk about? Control the tongue. James is going to talk about it just right after this. Control the tongue. How can two different, how can salt water and fresh water come from the same spring? It cannot be. The tongue is for the glory of God. We've just sung praises today. We've just talked about the greatness of Christ. Are you going to use the intuitive approach when you go out to the car and your wife or your child or somebody says something and you just snap with no discipline, no self-control? Or are you going to take the counterintuitive approach and say, no, there's something better. I'm going to hold my tongue here. 
righteousness is acting according to the divine law. I know, I have confidence in you that when, you, when we talk about righteousness, that you know that faith is the only way to attain righteousness to get eternal life. I have confidence with you in that. My hope and challenge for today is that as you pursue righteousness, you also know that to maintain righteousness comes, starts with faith but it includes actions that can bring life abundant. And we've talked an awful lot about the law today. And I don't want you guys to get too, you know, overbeared with this uh, law stuff here. There is a lawgiver in the Kaiser household. And that is me. There's no mistake about that. But the laws that I have in the Kaiser household are because of my great, great love for my son. I'm not just some cosmic killjoy looking to ruin this kid's life. I'm not just some egomaniac that, you know, wants to make a whole bunch of rules just so that I can have some kind of pleasure over somebody who has no control. No, I have a great love for my child. And because of that great love, I want him to have a life abundant. And so I have rules for him, or I will have rules for him. Right now, he's not really paying attention. (laughs) But I'll have rules for this boy. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to picture your relationship with God. Your relationship, when you hear rules, when you think about the divine law, do you picture yourself in his arms? Do you picture him as a loving father who wants nothing more than to bring you life eternal and life abundant? You see, there's some earthly, natural, and demonic forces that are out there that are lying to you about who he is and what he wants of you. They're not true. He's a loving father. He's a father who wants not only life eternal, but life abundant. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I I find great peace that when I think of life after death, that I know I'm secure in your hands. But Father, there's so much more. You didn't take me when I made that commitment. You didn't just take me and put me there. You told me, go into the world. Be my witness. Father, Uh, A witness without pursuing righteousness is no witness at all. Give us the strength to understand that righteousness comes by faith, but that faith has actions that are associated with wisdom that comes from you, and that wisdom is found all throughout your word. Boy, it's tough, Father. So we're going to need your help. We're going to need you to expose 
the areas in our lives where we have been acting according to the earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom of the world so that through your spirit we might begin to act righteously, true righteously, truly righteous people who can reflect back the glory of God to a world that is in desperate need of that message. Father, thank you for this time. And may we go with this thought that true righteousness brings life eternal and life abundant. Amen.